Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We're going to read Mark 10, 45 together. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The ESV, or English Standard Version, says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I believe that we have to, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, have to take up that same mantle of serving others. Amen. I want to pray today that God would help me to speak to you in a way that helps us to understand that every masterpiece has a mess. And I want to talk to you for a little while about adaptability, the ability to adapt. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the process that you put us through. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're teaching each one of us to take our next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give this worship band a big hand if you can put your Bibles down real quick. Thank them. Thank Dean. Thank everybody for all their help. Fantastic job. I also want to say that most of us spend... A lot of time away from this place and when we come here it's just clean and looking good i want to thank my family for helping out with that and anybody else who helps out with that i want to say thank you to all those that helped us with baptism last weekend filling the baptistry so that we could baptize leah powers in the name of jesus amen and we want to celebrate again leah's baptism it's all of us it's just us here right so let me so my wife put two baptismal certificates on my desk. I promptly destroyed both of them trying to sign them because both of my pins would not work. So someone needs to bless pastor with a good pen. <laughs> so I will get you your certificate next week, Leah. Sorry to put you on the spot. But I planned on giving it to her today. But oh, Lord, help us. The ink would not flow in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so... Um, so thank you all for helping us with that. There's so many great things that happen on a weekly basis around here that someone comes in, does, and does it well. And um, the bathrooms get cleaned and the things happen, and we just come and we enjoy service. But someone's got to do those things. And so I want you to realize that while God's building a masterpiece out of each one of us, there's still some messes that go on. And, and as we were driving back this week, um, we were driving to the airport, and and I was talking to my wife about something that was irritating me. And she said, you know, you can't look past the mess to see the masterpiece. I said, ouch, could you use some anesthetic before you do surgery next time? She's like, y you love the stuff where you can walk in and see it all finished. You just absolutely think that's the best, that's the greatest. But you never see the mess behind it. 
Have you ever seen a, a work of art where there's leftover um, paint all over the... Has anybody ever gone and painted anything? Maybe gone and done some painting and or took an art class, and you realize while you're painting, there's just a mess that happens everywhere around you? Have you ever noticed that? There's a famous... I believe it was Jim Pollock who was a famous... What's that? Jackson Pollock. His first name wasn't in my notes, I don't know why, but in November 2006, Pollock's number five painting, which was actually him standing in a studio that was covered with tarps, and he put his canvas against one wall, and he just began to sling paint at the canvas, and he would just continue to sling paint and sling paint until finally he would stare at the canvas, and, and then he would... No, I, I don't know it's done, if it's done yet. And he would take another couple colors and sling them at the canvas, and then he would yell in great ex ecstatic excitement, it's finished. And all it was was a white canvas with a bunch of paint lines slung at it. And it was a changing of the mindset of art in that day because most of the expensive paintings were murals or some sort of painting of a place or a, or a stream or, or, or a person. But whenever he finished his painting, he sold it that year for in a privately undisclosed situation to a buyer who paid $140 million for paint slung on a canvas. Now, I don't know about you, but this kind of got somebody's attention. Because in other artist records in 2004, he sold another painting that was like a, what he called a medium drip painting. I didn't know there was different sizes of drip, but apparently those that drink coffee would know, would recognize medium drip and heavy drip. I don't know. He had been shown, that had been shown in the United States in the 1950s in the Venice Biennale, and it fetched $11.7 million, .7 million at Christie's in New York. They were paintings of paint slung on a canvas. But time had changed and things were different. And so, of course, it got the news interested and they sent a reporter to his studio to watch him work. And his studio was covered with canvas-like drops all over the studio. Every wall, every floor was covered. And then he had the canvas set up and they said that he, when they watched him, they greeted, he greeted them at the door and brought him into the, to the actual studio. And he, and he said, I'm going to begin my work now. And they just began to film him painting. And he, he, they said he started very slowly, just a, a little dash there and maybe a, a little swipe of thrown paint there and then all of a sudden he began to crescendo into an absolute frenzy of throwing paint everywhere just just slinging paint they said he was sweating and he was running around like a crazy man throwing paint against the wall and when they finished there was this silver gray red yellow and shots of blue and white up against this beautiful canvas and and when they sold it that year it sold for 20.5 million dollars and we go and we go it's just paint on the canvas so in one particular setting where he sold multiple paintings, he garnished over $495 million. But the artist, he was a drunk, and he was a mess, and his life was in shambles. But he found something that was a masterpiece, even in his mess. And so the story goes that when the reporter finished, they asked him about doing other works, and he said, this is what I know to do. Maybe you've heard some of you about Hussein Bolt, the fastest man alive. Hussein Bolt was the Jamaican runner that ran one of the most fastest, one of the fastest times, and he was, had multiple gold medals in his race. But they asked his agent, 
what does Hussein Bolt run in one mile? What, what is his, does he do a four-minute mile? Does he do less than that? What, what does he do? What's his fastest mile? And his agents surprised and shocked him all when he said, I have no idea. And they're like, what do you mean you have no idea? You're his agent. You actually help him get to the Olympics and do all of the races that he does. And he said, I don't know. Hussein Bolt has never in his life run one mile because he's designed to sprint. He was built to sprint. He tops out at 27 miles an hour. He is the fastest man alive at this point. But they did the studies and they realized that the best high school runner in a cross-country track meet could outrun him in one mile. Though he is lavished with gold medals. Because he was not designed, I feel the Holy Ghost, to run one mile. And so his agent said, why would he ever do that? That's not what he's built for. He does what he's the best at. And you want, I want you to know that the church is not always good at doing the fundraiser. Or doing the other things that are supplemental to the church. But the one thing the church is good at is the church is good at reaching the the lost for the sake of saving their soul. I want you to know that today and in my heart and in my life, I am recommitting to the fact that we are loving God and we are loving others. We want to turn a church from the things that we see and the things that we've experienced and the people that we've talked to that said, hey, we're doing this great and we're doing that great, but we're running out of energy and we're exhausted and we're doing so many things that a church is supposed to do, but I want you to say, hear my heart today that we are not running a mile when we're supposed to be sprinting. I want to take our focus back to the very thing that God came, and that is to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? God is absolutely consumed with those that don't know him. He'd rather leave the 99 to go after the one. I don't know if I'm coming at you too heavy today, but I'm coming at you with a passion in my heart because I feel like that we may have a church and we may have a mentality that needs to be tweaked just a little bit, that we need to understand that I don't get up on Sunday morning and ask myself the question, do I feel like going to church today? I I come to church and take my position because I know there might be somebody that walks in the back door that has never known the name of Jesus, has never felt the power of God, and has never had their sins washed away in the beautiful name of it, and never lifted their hands and been filled with the gift of God. I promise you that I don't spend time asking myself, what do I feel like doing on a Sunday? I ask myself, what do others need in a church that is built for others? is a church that lasts. I don't know how to say it any better than to say that we are in one amazing, powerful church of the living God. There is nothing that can stop a church who is designed for others. There's nothing that can stop a church that is specifically set up for non-members. Amen? For those that are without God, for those that are far from God, for those that don't know how to get to God. It doesn't matter if they even know what Job is in the book of... They don't even have to know that it's Job. They don't even have to know that John 3.16 is not the bathrooms on the third floor. 
They don't have to know what's going on necessarily every time they walk into our church. But if we scatter all kinds of church-like jargon, and if we use thee and thou like some special kind of words from the King James Version, and we leave behind the very people that Jesus came to save while we spend all of our time on traditional things and on ideologies and on nicely crafted artistic sermons, then we have left the gospel behind. While we're preaching the gospel, we say we're preaching. If we're not reaching a world, then we're not adapting and changing our world. I want you to know that I'm not preaching at anybody but myself today. I want you to know that I'm not looking at you as you haven't done good. I'm saying that the church of the living God is supposed to be a powerhouse for reaching those who don't think that they can be reached. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful that God reached for me. Anybody ever heard the story of Lewis and Clark? Thomas Jefferson sent Captain Meriwether Lewis and Mr. Clark on an expedition. It was pretty much an adventure or die. I want you to know that the Holy Ghost anoints us for adventure. Amen. If your dreams are too small, that you don't need the Holy Ghost to accomplish them, you need to get a new dream. If the church that you're going to and if the life that you're leaving, living in God doesn't scare you sometimes to where you have to fight for faith over your fear, then I promise you, you need to get a new dream because God wants you on an adventure, amen? Captain Meriwether Lewis was sent with a letter that said from Thomas Jefferson, the object of your mission is to explore the Missouri River and such principal stream stream of it as by its course and communication with the waters of the Pacific Ocean may offer the most direct and practical water communication across the continent for the purpose of commerce. This was the letter written to them and failure to do so would have been a failure of the mission. They were a core group. They were fundamental in their purpose. Their orientation was to go and to find a way to the West Coast. And when they began to leave Louisiana, they got to the northern end of Louisiana and they ran into the Rockies and they realized that their geographical hopes ran into geographical reality. And what they realized was they were adept at canoeing. They were good at exploring when it came to paddle in the water. But when they got to the mountains, they realized that you can't canoe through mountains. And what they thought was when they got to the top of the mountain, that they would look over and find the Columbia River running through and that they could literally canoe their way to the West Coast. But when they got there, they realized something very important. And that is everything that they knew about the East Coast, which was a a misunderstanding was not the same as the West Coast. In other words, they thought that what they were going to find was the head of the Columbia River and they could just float their way to the Pacific. But what they didn't know is that what was there was different from what was here. And what I'm finding out is that what we are seeing in our day, in our post Christian day where every single poll that I'm seeing coming out from various places is telling us we're living in a post Christian era where 80% of college students this year checked off when they were asked what religion they were part of, they checked none. 
We're living in a place in an era where we've never been before. And we cannot just think that we can stick a paddle in the water and canoe as usual to the revival that God wants us to have. We have to understand that if we're going to reach souls, we have to adapt. But I have great news for you. The Holy Ghost is adaptability anointing. It's given to us so that we could vision and we could move and we could change and we could do what we must do. Meriwether Lewis in his journals wrote in his expedition on August 12, 1805, I did not despair of shortly finding a passage over the mountains and of tasting the waters of the great Columbia this evening. Because they realized when they got to the top of the mountain that there were more mountains and there were more mountains and there were more snow on top of those mountains and they were not qualified, no matter how qualified they were, no matter how great the guys that were with them, no matter how great their help and their assistance was, they were not qualified for the place ahead. And I want to tell you that the church is only qualified for the road ahead through the power of the Holy Ghost. We are not able to adapt to what is coming against the church and what we're going to see. We may, I know it sounds like a life raft, but we have, li- we have small life groups. We have small groups during the week, and we may end up only be able to have church in small groups someday because what I'm preaching when I preach the word may be considered hate speech. We may be the hate speech people in 10, 12 years. I don't know, and we would then go back to the apostolic message of having, having church house to house like they did, and on, and on the weekends, maybe we could still come together. I don't know what's going to happen, but I promise you this. The Holy Ghost is there. The God's already there. He sees what's going to happen, and there is a great revival promised. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to adapt myself to it. I, don't, I may not have a tie there. I may not have a suit on there. We may not have a platform with musicians and, and have morning service the way we have it right now, but people will still be getting the Holy Ghost. Somebody will still be getting baptized because there will still be a revival in the last days, if we trust the Holy Ghost to lead us and to adapt into what God wants us to be. Dressing up as culture, did you know that? We didn't even wear ties before the turn of the century. Something that we have culturally done. And Jesus said, there's one thing you have to do is you have to remove your attachment to culture and place it on the scriptures. And so I've called today and I've come today to tell you that we have some keys that we must put in the locks of adaptability. Number one is we have to learn how to handle loss. And we have to learn how to have a learning spirit all of our life. And we also have to learn how to handle the gaps that we see in the church and in places. Letting go and learning as we go is the hardest thing for some people to do. Because if you don't let go and keep learning, you won't keep going. The, the hardest thing to do is live in the past. Whenever you spend your time looking at different places in Scripture, you see that there is more than just one place where God deals with people's hearts. And what I found interesting was that when the people decided that Jesus was going to be crucified, they swerved into a staggering truth that helped them to see what God actually came for. And that is that he came to seek and save that which was lost. Amen. And so in the scriptures, we find that whenever they were seeing Jesus on the cross, they actually said he could save others, but he couldn't save himself. And which was an amazing thing because 
I can't find my scripture. I'm just digging through this iPad like a madman. And I'm trying to get there, and I apologize. For some reason, my I've lost that scripture. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Thank you. They said that he saved others, but himself he cannot save. And if he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross that we and we will believe him. In other words, what they were saying was, why can't he save himself if he can save others? And what they found and what they didn't mean to hit, but they did hit, is the very first three words there is what this church needs to be all about, is he saved others. I'm grateful for every one of you here today, but I'm hungry for a lost people. I'm hungry for lost souls. I don't know how to go get them, but I'm going to find a way to adapt and go get them. I'm going to find a way to have revival in this last day because I wasn't called to get this far to stop. I'm not going to get to the edge of the mountains. I'm not going to get to the continental divide and say because I don't have the training or I have never seen it this way before or it's so much harder than we thought it was going to be. I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to get some horses and I'm going to meet a little lady named Sacagawea. <laughs> I've already met a little lady. I'm sorry. It's, that just was really bad. We'll just edit that out. <laughs> I'm going to get some help because you know what? The people that are there know how to go and get the people that are out there. In other words, when you win people, the Bible says the treasure's in the field, amen? The treasure is out there. In other words, what it's saying is when you begin to win those that are lost, they know how to go into the clubs. They know how to go into the places where people are hurting. They know how to go there. They've been there. They came from there. So when you begin to win the lost, you win your own guides into to the places you've never been before. You win the people that are going to go bring the revival. So you have to know that it's going to get messy, but there's going to be a masterpiece come from it. It's going to be a mess sometimes, and you're going to see people and things that don't always work right, and there's going to be some times where we get up here and we're, we're trying to work on new systems and do new things because we're all about saving others. We're all about reaching others, and the thing about it is, is when we get to those points, I'm not going to be upset with the mess. I'm going to go, that's great. We're reaching for somebody that doesn't know Jesus and we're reaching with everything we've got because we don't know how to get there from here. But we're not going to hold on to our canoes and just keep paddling even though there's no water. This is how we've always done it. This is how we always got there. We're good at canoeing in the church. We're not good at crossing the mountains. And so I'm afraid that we have to do some changing. Are you ready for the surgery? I've gotten this far to help us. There's six moves that we have to do to become a Saving Others Church. Number one, we have to move from serve us to service. We have to move from coming here to be served to coming here to serve others. Number two, each one of these are a move, but I'm just going to do four. We have to move from me to we. We have to do this together. We can't all be pulling one direction because you know if everybody's pulling a different direction, guess what happens? You're stuck. And it's funny that some people think they're deep when they're just stuck. Have you ever met people like that? <laughs> they think they're so deep in the word of God and really they're just stuck. You, don't, you have to be willing to admit when you're stuck so that you can get help to move forward. We have to move from impressing at a distance 
to impacting up close. You can put on a tie all you want to and stand here and preach amazing sermons. Or you can get into somebody's life in a Bible study or meet them in a life group and change their lives together. I can't tell you what it's like to miss our life group. I love our life group. There's something that happens in that group that impacts me. We have to stop impressing from a distance and start impacting up close. And then the fourth one, that probably the last one you can handle today, <laughs> is we have to move from suppressing the generations that are coming to supporting the generations that are coming behind us. Well, I don't know if I trust them. We better learn how to lead them into a revival that God's calling us to. Amen? I'm closing. We got to go to this conference, and I got to see my friends, the girlies, and their daughter, Tanil, got up and told a story. And she basically did the same thing I'm doing today where she's talking about saving others. And <clears throat> she focused on the leftovers. She said, we don't have good, clean Christians anymore. We have people that are coming that are his kids, their kids, and who knows whose kids. <laughs> We have people that are joining the church that don't even know who Moses was. They don't even know who the basic Bible stories are. And if you don't take the word of God and go, this is from the Bible, they won't even know where you got it from. And so she was saying that you can either look at it as lack or you can look at it as leftovers. And John 6 the disciples got into a boat and went across the sea. And when they were in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the sea, a storm rose. And Jesus was with them. And they had just come from the feeding of the 5,000. And they had 12 baskets of leftovers in that boat. And while they were in the boat, Jesus takes a nap. Because he's like, I want you to do, my disciples, what I do. I did what he did was he taught them how to adapt. He said, I am going to bless it and then I'm going to put it into your hands and you're going to multiply, you're going to see the multiplication through you. In other words, what he was trying to teach them was how to adapt from Jesus doing everything to them doing what Jesus was doing. And they didn't get the message. That's why Jesus was so irritated when he woke up on the boat and said, Oh, ye of little faith. What? I have, I'm trying to teach you that you could have walked to the bow of the boat and said, peace be still. You have the authority in the name of the Lord. And he said, so you can either stand here and bail water and hope that I'd wake up and help you, or you can turn around and look at the baskets of provision that might have been even in the same boat with them. The miracle that they just walked out of was a testimony in baskets while Jesus was sleeping in the boat, and they could have looked at their lack what they needed, or they could have turned around and looked at the leftovers and said, look at what God has already done. Surely he can save us. Surely we can do something about this storm. And so I have to tell you that I want to look at the leftovers. I don't want to look at people that are coming in that have all kinds of problems and face tats and all kinds of stuff going on in their life. And I'm not against... Um, helping people that need help. I'm not against that. I'm not trying to say that people don't need to have care and concern even though their life is a mess. What I am saying is 
stop thinking that they're just leftovers because Jesus had their name on his mind when he died on that cross. And it doesn't matter what they look like. They're the others we're called to reach. And as awkward as this sermon is right now, we're going to have to have awkward conversations with people that don't know Jesus. In fact, they said get used to awkward conversations because they're going to ask you, what does it mean to pray through? <laughs> we have jargon that we use that they don't understand. And we need to take our language to the leftovers. We need to take our language to the level where they can be saved. Somebody reached for you in a way that you were able to be saved. Why not help them to understand? We may not put King James up on the, on the screen every single Sunday from now on. We may read in King James and then read in a section of, read the same section of scripture in a way that somebody that knows nothing about God can understand. But I believe that is the calling on my heart that we are going to do what we can do to save others. Amen? And when we do that, when we make that our focus, God will honor it. Because I don't want to keep doing what we love at the expense of the lost. Sometimes we leave church and we go, didn't we have good church? Brother Dan, wasn't that awesome? That was awesome church. And sometimes it's just what we like. We can keep having awesome church according to our affinities and what we like, or we can start saving the lost. I'm not talking about leaving anything that we are. I'm talking about leaving the 99 and going getting to get the one. Famous, I'm trying to close, I promise. <laughs> Famous, I'll cut that story out. I'll put it in a different sermon. So Tennille gets up and she's telling all these things and she told the story about how she was having her second child and she began to have some heart trouble and they took her to the hospital and they realized that the baby wasn't moving. She was in a lot of trimesters and they gave her like three Mountain Dews, just like all kinds of sugar water to see if the baby would move and the baby wouldn't move. And so they took her, they rushed her into emergency C-section and they removed the baby and the last thing she heard when the nurses and the doctors ran out of the room with her baby was, he's blue. And then a couple hours later, her husband and her little daughter, Paisley, came in. And she was crying because she didn't know. It's been, it, it would be, end up being seven hours of unknowing what happened to our baby while they were working and trying and efforting to save that baby's life. And she was left in the dark, just laying in a bed. And her family came in, and little Paisley came to the edge of the bed. She's a cute little girl. I, think, I don't remember her age, but she said, Mommy, where's my baby? And she's like, well, our baby's sick. And she goes, Mommy, I'm right here. I'm not sick. She, was, she thought she was talking about Paisley, but she was referring to her other baby. And she said how many times, even in the cuteness of that moment where she was saying her baby's sick and Paisley thought she was talking about her, how many times do we do the same? Where God is absolutely consumed with those that are sick and lost in their sin.
And he's weeping over this world and crying over them and asking, who will go for me? And when we ask the Lord, why do you have tears? I wonder if he wouldn't say, because my children are sick. And we can either stand up and say, no, we're not sick, we're right here, and misunderstand. Or we can take up the passion and the burden of God and go into all the world. I had one person tell me one time, you're not a very good preacher. And I said, I don't have to be a very good preacher. I just need to be a really good soul winner. He saved others. Following knowledge is the technique approach. Following the past is the traditional approach. But following the Spirit is the adaptable approach. Man's knowledge will fail you. The past and tradition will fail you. That's why large traditional churches are empty and selling right now all over the United States. 4,000 churches closing their doors every year. 1,500 pastors leaving the ministry every year because we're trying to canoe through the mountains. And we're judging the world is lacking instead of seeing them as the leftovers. But God does not fail. His spirit leads us into an adventure that we can't even imagine. We will see the greatest day. I believe our sermons, we're going to see the best sermons preached between now and before Jesus comes. We're going to see the greatest songs written between now and before Jesus comes. We're going to see some of the greatest things we could ever imagine happen with people who are willing to just say, Lord, what will reach the lost? What will change the world? Stand with me. Very odd sermon, I realize, but I feel like it was led of God to just remind us that we're not just here for us. We're here for others. Jesus, I pray today that you help us be led of your spirit to the things that you call us to. I don't need a single amen for this sermon to know it's in the book, to know that you left everything and came and divested yourself of glory so that you could walk among us to be at our level, Lord Jesus. Help us to give something to this world that can reach them at their level, God that can call them from darkness into light, that can help them to move from where they are towards you, Jesus. And maybe somebody right here is in uncharted territory. Maybe somebody right here has run into a continental divide and they're sitting there and they're thinking over their life and their decisions and the way that they need to go and they're scared. Maybe they're even, maybe they're even searching for a way through the mountains. They don't even know what's coming next. They just see a, a difficult time ahead. I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus that you'd help them, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd give them peace and that you'd help them to adapt the power of the Holy Ghost. Give us the ability to be adaptable, Lord Jesus, to what you've called us to do. There's someone in here that's taking a new job right now. There's someone in here that's needing to do something different than you've ever done before, and you're asking God to help you with it. I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus that God gives you the strength and the wisdom 
and the guidance to do it. I'm also praying for anyone with relationship right now that has come into a place that's difficult and everything that worked before is not working now and everything that you see here is not what's going to get you there. And you have had lack of trust and lack of faith and something's been broken so deeply that you don't even know if you can continue on. But I'm praying right now for grace and I'm praying for a powerful move of God in that relationship. That God will help you to adapt and find a way through it because there are great successes yet to be had. There are great things yet to be done. Help us, Lord, to be willing to put our adventure in you. I pray for relationships right now in this room that need God, that need a move of God in their life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. King Gurley was talking to us, and he's a obviously a friend of the family, but he was sharing with us a story of going to the bedside of a patriarch of Pentecost, and he reached down and he shook his hand, and he told him, I believe God's going to give you 15 more years of life, and I'm praying that over you right now. And he died 14 months and 50, 14 years and 51 months later. 51 months. Something like 14, just, just at 15 years. But when he went to the funeral, their church had diminished because they had a traditional mindset. And the pastor's wife came to him and said, Brother Gurley, do you have babies running around your church? He said, he didn't know how to respond. He said, well, yes, we do. He said, do you have babies crying during the sermon and babies making distractions and little ones playing while everyone's in the altar or worshiping? And he said, oh, yes, yes, we do. And she said, I would give anything. She goes, we look around and all we see is gray hair in our church. There are no babies crying. There are no messes left by the pew to vacuum up after service. There's nothing that indicates that the next generation is growing in God. She goes, I would give anything to have a baby cry in a service or to have a child run to the platform and interrupt the preaching because it says that the church is growing when there are babies in the church. And I want to close with telling you this. I would rather have a little bit mess, a little bit of mess and have babies in the kingdom than have a sterile church service with no tears and no emotion and no motion at all. I would rather have someone come in and sit in the front row and vape in service. <laughs> I, I would rather have to deal with the dysfunction than have a church that never has any smiles, that never goes and picks up anybody. 
that never has babies crying this sorry that I'm crying so much but this is the will of God when we leave here we should have to walk through a couple smokers going to the parking lot when we leave here we should have to talk to somebody about the fact that they got their favorite th thing done this week that we can't endorse from scripture <laughs> we should have to have and love the mess because he came to make a masterpiece out of them I'm asking you to commit to not stand here and go Jesus I'm right here you shouldn't be crying you should be happy but instead when you walk by that teller at the bank realize they're going one of two places when you stop and you get gas and you pay the bill if you still go inside, don't use the card at the pump. Realize that they're a soul that Jesus died for. And God loves them as much as he loves you. As much as he loves you. Do something this week to share Jesus in a way that it can be received with the lost. And bring babies to the house of the Lord to be saved. Don't worry about if they make a mess, we'll clean it up. Don't worry if they shout from the pew during the sermon and make some noise. That's what babies do. But we're going to have a church that's happy. And the church is only happy when there's babies. Have you ever seen the joy of a baby? Just everybody smiles when you see a baby. That is what God's calling this church to be is a church for others. God bless you as you go today. Maybe you want to find a place to pray and commit to the Lord that I'm going to do my best to shine my light. I'm going to be launching that early. That's our next year's theme is shine your light in darkness. I'm going to launch it early because, sorry, I didn't give you enough time, Sarah, to plan it all out. But I felt in the Holy Ghost, we're done talking about it. We're going to start doing it. I hope to fill a couple rows right here. Sorry, Tom and Leah. I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to be visitors in these whole two rows right here. And they're going to not know what to do with themselves. They're going to go get coffee right across the front while I'm preaching. And we're going to give an altar call and bring the lights down and everybody's going to start praying and they'll be talking too loud in the front row. We'll be happy about it. We'll be joyful about it because there's babies in the church. God bless you today as you go. Find somebody and share the love of God with them this week.